0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Fun, fun, fun. Stanley by for Greg Wachinski from ESPN. One of the things we're going to talk about here is what you are about to hear. And that's um, Wayne Gretzky on the Smartless podcast. This is, a, this is a really interesting pod to listen to. Like a guy like Gretzky has so many stories, so many of which uh, we haven't heard because quite bluntly, no one's asked him, and this is why I think a lot of times it's always interesting and refreshing to hear non-hockey people ask hockey players questions that people in the industry, namely people like me, wouldn't even consider or think of asking. So, uh, as we uh, stand by to talk to Greg Wyshynski here, I want to play some of this for you. This is Wayne Gretzky on the Smartless podcast, uh, who talks about, amongst other things, playing in the W.H.A., as essentially a child and going to high school with one of his teammates' daughters. Yes, that's how big the age discrepancy was uh, when he played with the uh, the Edmonton Oilers of the then-WHA after coming over from the Indianapolis Racers. And also a great story about his Jofa helmet. Enjoy this. Gretzky on the Smartless Pod.
2: Uh, I turned pro when I was 17, and my dad said because he had to sign the contract to validate it because I wasn't 18, mm-hmm. and he said two <laughs> That's things. crazy. I'll sign this, but um, you're going to finish 12th grade. I don't care what you do. You're going to go to school till you're 18 years old. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So my first practice, and in those days, the players would come to the younger guys or the new guys and say, hey, take your helmet off. You shouldn't play with a helmet because that's kind of what guys did back then. Mm -hmm. So here I am, I took my helmet off, and my dad's at my first exhibition game, we're playing in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm out there skating around, and all of a sudden my dad comes running down the stairs at the (laughs) arena and yelling at me, get your goddamn helmet back on. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm turning to one of the guys, and I said, my dad said I have to put my helmet on. (laughs) So we go to the locker room, and I get this, helmet and one of the guys said Wayne wear this Jova helmet it's like not wearing a helmet and I was like okay so I get the helmet on and I wore it my whole career I was comfortable with it I got traded or sold to Edmonton I got traded or sold a couple times in my career <laughs> I did <laughs> fight a lot of years I got sold a lot so I get sold to Edmonton and I'm going to high school in Edmonton and the principal, doesn't know I am. Now, Edmonton travels more than other teams, and so I've gone on the road for five days or seven Wait, days. Wait, you were
1: going to high school in Edmonton when you were playing there? Yeah,
2: in the WHA. And wow. the principal calls me in, like, early January. He said, young man, you're going to be a nothing. You're going to mount to nobody. You're schooling this and that. I should kick you out. And I said to him, look, give me till January 26." And he goes, what's that? I go, I turn 18 January 26th. If I'm still... Messing up, you can call me in and kick me out of the school. So the guy goes, Okay, I'll do that for you. So January 26, and I used to pick up one of my teammates' daughter was in my classes. (laughs) We were the same age. So (laughs) I'm driving to school and I'm kind of singing to the music in the car. I'm really excited. And she goes, Well, you're pretty happy today. I said, Yeah, I'm quitting school. I'm going in and telling that principal I'm done. Uh I walked in the principal's office. I said, You know what? I just want to thank you for not kicking me out of school. I quit, <laughs> and ah, that was it. Sure. I walked well, out. You can't fire me. I can't. <laughs> and I lived up to what my dad wanted.
1: That's amazing. That's uh, Wayne Gretzky on the Smartless Podcast. Encourage all of you to give that a listen. As we bring in Greg Wyszynski for more stories about people, well, like
0: Wayne Gretzky. How are you today, Wish? I love Gretzky so much. There's two things about Gretzky that I love. <laughs> one okay was one time we were at the NHL offices, and I. Doing Wayne for the late great Puck Daddy blog, and uh, he was walking around the table, uh, autographing books that he was going to go do like a like a upstairs at the NHL store. And I was asking him these hang questions. Hang on,
1: hang on, wish, we're, hang on, wish, we're, we're having a hard time with your line. We're going to get you to reconnect here. So hold on. We'll probably ask you to reset, um, but we're going to get you on a, a better line. I'm having some problems with technology today. Technology makes your lives easier, everybody. Uh, I'm living proof that it doesn't. Uh, if you've heard me on various platforms, specifically whenever Wish and I get together, this used to be a common problem uh, with the old podcast. So this is nothing new for him and I. We'll get him to reconnect. On the Opal app, and we'll uh, we'll get him aboard. There's a couple of Gretzky stories. Wish has got a couple. I want to share a couple, mainly, mainly about Walter Gretzky. I have one that I uh, absolutely love telling about the uh, the late, great Walter Gretzky, and I think we've all got a lot of Gretzky stories in our hip pockets. Maybe uh, you know watched him play when he was a junior uh, with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. One of our older listeners. Maybe you're someone that saw him play in the WHA. Uh, with either the Indianapolis Racers or the Edmonton Oilers, maybe Assam as a as a young player in the, uh, in, the uh, in the in the NHL uh, at his various tour stops in either Edmonton, Los Angeles, St. Louis, which never gets discussed at all, um, or the uh, or finishing up with the New York Rangers. Um, it seems like everybody has. A Wayne Gretzky story, either a, a brush with the success that was Wayne Gretzky or just something they heard. Anyway, we'll get to those in a couple of moments. Uh, we got you back. Wish. Uh, start all over again. Gre- Gretzky Sir, stories. Go.
0: So Gretzky's at, Gretzky's at the NHL office and I'm with him. I'm with yeah. him doing an interview for Puck Daddy. And uh, he's going around this big table autographing all these books because he has a signing at the NHL store downstairs uh, in mere moments. Yeah. And I'm doing the thing where, of course, I'm asking him anything but the questions that Wayne Gretzky always gets. Um, and he did this thing that, that very few like mega superstar uh, interviewees have ever done with me, where his handlers said, you know, Mr. Gretzky, uh, we have to uh, bring you down to the NHL store right, right now. And he goes, "Uh, in a few minutes, I'm having the best time right now. I'm like, okay. Thank you, buddy. That's <laughs> wonderful to hear. And, uh, and then the That's other thing, good. too, and, and this is like this is a story um, that I didn't know about until he talked about it at a, a World Cup of Hockey um, press conference uh, in Toronto. But the idea that Gretzky is such a hockey nerd, and it's one of the reasons why I've always been drawn to Gretzky as a sports celebrity. I don't think every great athlete is a nerd for their sport on the same level that Gretzky is a nerd for hockey. But the idea that Wayne Gretzky disguises himself to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto and walk around and basically look mm-hmm. at his old stuff <laughs> right really like it's all his stuff it's just <laughs> all his stuff uh, is one of the most endearing things like could you imagine like Michael Jordan being like yeah occasionally I put on a fedora and a fake beard and I go to basketball Hall of Fame and uh, you you know, see <laughs> James Natesmith's shoes or whatever. Like like Gretzky's got that inherent sort of hockey nerddom to him. Um and maybe it's partially because he, you know, married the homecoming queen, uh, that I've always really, really uh loved about Wayne.
1: There was something that um I remember talking to my colleagues that were there with me at the time. There was something different about Wayne Gretzky and there has been something different about Wayne Gretzky after Gordie Howe died. And Gordie Howe was always his idol. Gordie Howe was his legend. That's why he wore number nine uh, all, all the way up into, until 99. Um, Gordie Howe was always his guy. And I remember being in Detroit um, at the funeral, we're covering it live at Sportsnet. And, you know, Wayne Gretzky was there, obviously, to uh, to, to pay honor to, to Gordy and express his condolences and sympathies uh, to the Howe family. Uh, but he was there as everybody was willing through to pay their condolences. And it almost became, it was almost like, seriously, it was like he became an ambassador for the game. And something inside of Wayne maybe, you know, clicked that, okay, now my hero is no longer with us, I need to take that place in hockey now. Like it, it was remarkable how he sort of like, uh, almost like, uh, instinctively assumed that responsibility, and now it's like, now I'm taking Gordy's place here in the game. You know, yeah. Gordy's not with us yeah. anymore. I, A lot I, of the legends have been lost. Sean Beliveau, you know, some time before as well. And he just sort of innately understood that and became that type of ambassador after his hero
0: passed away. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, occasionally you might have to hit a certain price point to have him be the ambassador, let's be honest. But that's Wayne. That's always been Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> There's no shame in saying okay. that. Wayne, Wayne would so, probably agree. That's all right. Um, but I, you bring up a very interesting thing, which is, like, how, how the, the megastars in our sports change over time. And I was thinking about that a little bit earlier today because it is, of course, um, Penguins Capitals night. A rivalry that I still probably think is in the top three. It's not number one, you know, by a long margin, a large margin as it used to be, but Mm -hmm. it's probably still in the top three. And I think about like the Sid Ovi dynamic. I mean, they didn't like each other, obviously, when they were younger. Uh, Some of that was media construct because you know we had to have the good Mm -hmm. Canadian boy up against the Russian rock star. I mean, that was. they didn't like he- they didn't like each other. Wish no, no no no. I'm not, not, like I'm, not I'm not saying that it was the media creating a narrative that wasn't there. They totally had heat. They had heat, yeah. dude. They had heat from rookie of the month in October 2000. What was it, five or six or whatever it was when uh yeah. when, when OV won. You know, Sid came in as the anointed one, and then OV won. Rookie of the month. I remember being in the national press club in DC. Bettman was doing a speech and the, te- the, the alert came on uh, my phone at that point. Uh, I don't even know what the hell kind of phone I had at that point that Ovechkin was rookie of the month. And I said to myself, wow, boy, I didn't expect mm-hmm. the, the hockey prince of, of, of Cole Harbor to have uh, any company in this rookie of the year race. But here we are. No, but my point is this yeah. like over time, and i think the fact that ovechkin finally overcame the penguins and won his cup at some point but over time that relationship changed where you would see them sitting at the all-star game skills competition like the old guys in the balcony at the muppet show uh, and they're and they're you know commenting <laughs> on what's happening and they're just having a chat and they're sharing laughs and you're like this is beautiful like this is what you want from your magic and bird, right? Two guys that didn't like each other Two, one guy that complained about the speed with which they cleaned the hats off the ice. When both players got a hat trick in the same playoff game, like <laughs> you, you want them to get to that point eventually where they understand yeah. not only how great they, they are individually, but hopefully, and I wonder if they've ever had this conversation, Merrick, I wonder if they've ever talked about the fact that, Their entrance in the league, their rivalry, both as players and their respective franchises, had as much to do with the resurrection of the NHL after the canceled season as the emergence of the Blackhawks, as the outdoor hockey games, as the television deal, as all that stuff. Like They helped push it forward so much, and I wonder if they've ever acknowledged that together.
1: Uh, I don't know if they have. I mean, I I think they've. Well, I know they've both been asked about it, and they tend to downplay it. But that was a huge part of it. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, just mentioning like the the rivalry and the legitimate like animosity between the two of them when they were younger. Um, you know, we've tend. You know, we've kind of forgotten because I as I understand it, it's all now water under the bridge, and it has been for quite some time. Remember how much Ovechkin and Malkin hated each other?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah,
1: remember how bad? Yeah, remember that. How remember bad
0: the, that one was? Was it at the, the All Star Game where there was finally a summit between yeah. the two? I know it sounds like glass nosed, but Correct. there was finally like a summit between the two. It's like true. brokered by Kovalchuk. I yeah. want to say
1: Kovalchuk. Yeah. Yes, it was. Ilya are Koval- bang on. You remember it well. It was Kovalchuk who played like Henry Kissinger and brought the two of them together for the good of the uh, <laughs> for the for the for the good of Russia and international hockey. You're bang on, hundred percent. Great. Getting, getting, getting back to getting back to Gretzky here. Getting, getting back to the Gretzky. Just hearing those, you know, those those stories. Like so much of what he did, um, and as we just heard the Jofa story as well, what he wore was uh, was all you know all goes into the Gretzky lore. And I'll never forget this is something that Marty McSorley told me because we, when I worked with Marty, you know, whenever we'd go out after a show, we'd talk a lot, and a lot of the conversations would revolve around Wayne. Um. Yeah, Kelly Rudy will always tell the stories about how Wayne, you know, knew you know who the next team, ten teams they were playing, and would spot quiz guys. You know, hey Bernie Nichols, who's our next five teams? You know, mm-hmm. uh, 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 hey Brent, hey Brett Thompson, who's our next five teams? Uh, and he would sort of go around the room that way. Um, but Marty would tell me stories about how you know Wayne wanted to know where everybody was on the ice at all times. like He was the guy that needed to know everything on and off the ice. To Kelly Rudy's point, mm-hmm. he needed to know what time the bus was leaving, where we're going, Thursday, where are we, Friday, where are we, Saturday, where are we, et cetera. And on the ice as well, Marty told me something really interesting. He said, Wayne never likes skating along the boards where the benches are. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, because he never wanted – He never wanted a line change to happen behind him. He never wanted someone mm. to leave the ice surface or come on without him being aware of it. He was much more comfortable <laughs> on the other side of the ice because he wanted to know who was going off and who was coming on. And he's like, you know, some of the rarest pictures you'll see of Gretzky is Gretzky actually skating along the bench. And he said, I remember, he says, Jeff, just so you understand, like whenever you see a picture of Gretzky skating beside the bench, please understand he was not a fan of that. And that would not have been his choice. <laughs> He'd rather be away from the bench so he could see <laughs> Everything right. that was going on at all times. Just like, and the other great one here, I'll, I'll drop one more on you. There was a, this would have been when Robbie Fatorik was coaching the, uh, the Los Angeles Kings. And they had, the Kings had a horrible game. And after the game, Robbie Fatorik goes like individually after every single player and just like ripped into them as they're all sitting there in the Kings room. Fetorik's going at every single guy. Bam, 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 bam. And everyone's hearing it from the coach, except for Wayne Gretzky.
0: Mm. And as
1: Fertorik is about to leave, Gretzky stands up and says, that's BS. He said, I had an awful game too. Why didn't you rip me? Don't be scared of me. I'm part of this team. If they're getting ripped, I'm getting ripped right now. And the person that told me this was in the room. was just like the immense respect. I don't know how you could respect Gretzky even more as a player. But everybody in that room was like right on, Wayne. It's like, can you imagine that for one second seeing Wayne Gretzky stand up and say, you know what? I was crap too. How come you're not ripping me, Robbie? How come you're not ripping me? Mm. Don't be scared mm. of me because I'm Wayne Gretzky. I was awful out there.
0: Mm. You know, um, the skating along the bench thing is hilarious to me because like. I think I think why, I think a lot of people would hear that anecdote and be like, oh yeah, that's just Wayne in his incredible hockey sense and wanting to know where all the pieces on the chessboard are. And that's me hearing that and thinking, want to, come he, off. Wants to know, <laughs> yeah, he wants to No, he wants to know what fumble hands not to pass to. The man is trying to rack up assists. He's trying to get to 200 points. Yeah. Like what su- hands of stone is going to screw that up for him? If they hop over the boards, and if they're over the boards, he's off. Okay, he's going right to no. the bench. Okay,
1: here, here, he, here. Here's one. Here's one for you as well. And I, I think I have this one nailed. If I don't, trust me, someone on Twitter is going to nail me with this one. Who's the only player in the history of hockey? I believe there's only one who played with both. Well, who played with Wayne, Brent, and Keith Gretzky?
0: Oh my God. Keith Gretzky was such a. There is one. Oh, I mean, the, I, know. A, uh, I know. I uh, know. Mm. I don't know. What's the answer? There is. The, Troy Crowder. My guy from the Devils? <laughs> Your guy from the Devils. Troy, Crowder, Troy Crowder is the only player with to have played. Like, was he on the, were they with on the Kings all together? All three.
1: Hang on. I, I knew you were going to ask this, and I, it just came I mean, to me. For those like, for
0: those, ugh, for those who are under the age of uh, 45 in the audience, Troy Crowder uh, played during an era when we had what were called enforcers. Now, these guys were actually paid to punch other players. It's amazing, right? And uh, he, the, the best of them was this guy named Robert Probert. He used to play for the Detroit Red Wings nine, back nine, when they were in the Western
1: Conference. 95-96 with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, anyway, so Bob Probert was the guy was all, who used Los to Angeles beat up Kings.
0: everybody, right? And then lo and behold, one day, along comes this big, halting, massive man named Troy Crowder of the New Jersey Devils. Back when the Devils used to wear jerseys that looked like Christmas trees, Merrick. And they had a fight. Mm. And wouldn't you know it, Merrick? Wouldn't you no.
1: know? No. Did Crowder anyone call the police? De- de- Please tell
0: me. Defeat. Please tell me they called the police. <laughs> he defeated... <laughs> bob probert in this fight now it wasn't i mean i i I think probably looking back on it it's more of like a tko but he defeated probert and then Mm -hmm. the next time that the devils played the red wings merrick wouldn't you know that the selling point was not the majestic skating of steve eiserman it was not whoever was on the devils at that point i don't really remember maybe doug brown it was the fact that troy crowder and bob probert were going to have the rematch of the century and wouldn't you know it merrick that uh, Probert won that fight. Mm-hmm.
1: Shocking. Yeah. Just shocking. Uh, they were on the Kings together, him and Wayne. Keith played Belleville with him. I'm going to try and find Brent here if you want to filibuster a little bit more.
0: No, that was but, my uh, only uh, All three of them uh, uh different Probert, points. Jo- uh, Troy Crowder oh. I think Troy Crowder... Hey, I you know what's a, interesting? It's, I, it's, I think t- Troy it's, Crowder it's, got into politics. Speaking
1: of. Um, yeah. after Troy Crowder? Hang on. I'm in find politics? It. I don't think I don't See think her. so. This is going to be this entire yeah. segment, isn't it? In, this she, is sorry. Hey, you, listen. And you and
0: me. L- listen up, buddy.
1: Doing Google searches.
0: Up, buddy. In, I know. Just, just, I mean, like you said, you wanted to have a, a podcast on the radio, he said. And look what happened. In June 2017, uh. <laughs> Crowder announced that he was seeking the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario nomination in the... Provincial Sudbury? riding of Sudbury. What's a riding? Can you tell me that, Canadian? Yeah. What is that like? It's a just like a an district?
1: area? Just a just a, a, okay. a, a pl- Yes, a political
0: area. Yeah. So if you have a if you are on a horse, you literally could be riding through the riding of Sudbury. It's very exciting. Oh my uh, he was yes, acclaimed as yeah. the candidate on June twenty two thousand seventeen. Crowder placed second in the election mm. behind Ontario New Democratic Party candidate Jamie west so there you go troy crowder got into politics wouldn't you love to have one of those political lawn signs sir
1: i just want to have like a try i i i voted for troy button what would be the <laughs> uh the snappy i like ike type button that you could have for troy crowder greg <laughs> washynski oh uh, uh
0: troy's my boy my boy troy
1: troy's my boy oh, oh boy oh boy it's troy like all kinds of oh, things oh boy it's, it's uh, troy
0: yeah Vote, vote ah. for Tr- Troy Crowder, or he will punch you in the face. <laughs> Might have been the lawn sign.
1: <laughs> so there you go. Um, now, did you, did you, were you with us to, to hear those the uh, the Jofa clip and the the playing in the uh, the WHA with the Edmonton Oilers and the I Indianapolis did, yes. Racers? So I think you and I talked about this once. I used to have an obsession with those Jofa helmets. I spent. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And I think I only have, like, two left. I don't know where they've all gone. Ken Reed is the same way about Jofa helmets. I used to have an obsession. I used to uh, I used to bid for these things on eBay. And pretty much got... I wanted to get every single color. There was one guy in medicine hat who beat me, and I would have had a pink Jofa to compliment. Like, I had yellow. I had blue. I had green. I wow. had black. On eBay, a, a pink Jofa. This is, like... Jeez, wish this is two thousand seven, two thousand eight. A pink one popped up, and no dice. I ended up. I think he ended up paying like two hundred and sixty bucks for it. And because I throw nickels around like manhole
0: covers, I wasn't going to pay two hundred and (laughs) sixty bucks for a Jofa. (laughs) Is the pink? Are the Jofa helmets like? uh, They sound a little bit like uh, you know like Beanie Babies, like you, you're going out and collecting all of the different colors. Uh, is the pink one yeah, what it was. Is the pink one like a, a, a Princess Diana bear I'd of never, the Jofa helmets?
1: I had never seen it before. I had, I had never seen a pink Jofa before in my life. All the other ones that I've seen at various times, I mean, the blue one is quite a popular one, certainly the white one, um, black ones are sort of commonplace. I had never seen a pink no. one before.
0: Now I've had the privilege of going to the Merrick compound on occasion. I occasionally have also left the Merrick compound. Not so you've
1: seen the you've seen the
0: Joe. Yeah, you've seen the. No, jo- I was going to ask you. We I don't a lot remember of brain cells while you were here. <laughs> yeah, really? I don't remember where you keep them. Like, do you have them on your a wall or something, or what do you do with them?
1: So right now I'm, I, I do this show from my basement. Um, hello, everyone watching on Sportsnet mm. 360. Welcome to my basement. But they're they're up in my office, upstairs.
0: But again, like, like I've lost a bunch of them,
1: or I've like are they displayed? No, they're not even displayed. No, I just like have them. You don't them even in a, use them as them like a, chip chip box. bowls
0: for parties and stuff. Just pass around the old Joffa helmets. Throw that some would be in
1: there. a re- that would be a really good idea. I was thinking about doing <laughs> it as the background for this shot that you can see on Sportset 360, but then it would be like. You know, too much, a hey, waka waka, here's a bobblehead. Oh, here's a hockey. Like, just all the cliche stuff
0: that you always see, <laughs> <on>. <laughs> you always see behind people You're, during home you are, studios. Okay, looking behind me right now at the, at the, my, my, my wall that I use for yeah. both the drop and for Daily Wager, I have a Ken Danico bobblehead. A Ken Danico bobblehead. I have an autographed puck. I have my hockey card. Remember when you and I did those hockey cards? But most importantly, dude, yeah, um, that's great. To just like waka waka it haul up. I have one of those stuffed fish that the Kraken players of the game throw into the crowd after after the oh, game. Yeah, you ever yeah, see yeah. those? That's nice. like like the full trout or whatever. It oh is. yes, I got one of those. So yeah, I, yeah, I feel kind of fans. attacked yeah, right now that you you somehow feel like just because I have a bobblehead and uh, my yeah. book and and uh, a Darth Vader light behind me, that somehow I'm I'm like less of a journalist than you are.
1: No, not at all. And I never claimed to be a journalist either, but all I'm just saying it's like it's kind of the obvious stuff, like the the scourge of uh, the bobbleheads. Okay. Although I do have a Denila Mew bobblehead somewhere around here somewhere in the background. The only thing that I really have that is hockey is I have these old logos that I got from like 1976 that I used to spend mm. like a dollar on or I think actually it actually might have been 25 cents at Maple Leaf Gardens. Mm. It's the oldest thing that I ever that I can ever remember buying. And I've always kept them with me. i got Toronto Toros and Sabres and Wings and Habs and Islanders. I've, every move that I've ever had, somehow these never got lost. So I have those behind me, but that's about it. Like I don't know about you. Like, I always I like the idea buying. that when you when – when is,
0: is what? It was uh, cassette tapes. I, I, I distinctly remember having money for having done a service, maybe like mowing mm-hmm. my parents' lawn, and then going and buying Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi. <laughs> was the, cassette, the wow. cassette tape that I purchased. I know. As, as a, listen, as a native okay. of, the, Hang of the Garden on. State, that might Hang come on. as a surprise because you think that we all yeah. get Bon Jovi tapes for free. It doesn't work like that. There still has to be an exchange of monies.
1: I'm old enough to remember having eight tracks, and the first two that I owned would have been mm-hmm. Every Picture Tells a Story by Rod Stewart and Live at the oh, Paramount, no. the Guess Who. That's oh, wow. how old I am. And trials. I did. You know what? I felt really old last night as well watching hockey. You know why? Because the why? Flyers were wearing Cooperalls.
0: <laughs> I was wondering. I was wondering if this whole jaunt down Joe Lane was going to eventually circle back to what the Flyers were wearing <laughs> last night. It, how did that, how did that tug on your heartstrings, Merrick?
1: Well, I just remember how much I hated playing in them because when I played, no. uh, I only used Cooperalls when I played at high school at Humberside, and they were awful because you would, when you would hit the ice, you would slide. Like they're awful and like really, really dangerous. But the other thing that I do remember, and a lot of NHLers had the same experience going from junior hockey, where they were mandated that you wear Cooperalls for a number of years, uh, going into the NHL, is the girdles for the Cooperalls were way better than the hockey pants. And so some guys just kept the girdle and and used the shell. One guy, so I talked to so when they when they made this announcement a couple of weeks ago, I talked to someone I know who um, who played for the Maple Leafs and came out of junior. And he said, yeah, I remember how great those girdles were. And everyone coming out of junior hockey would all wear the girdles. And then we'd just wear the shell. Um, And uh, he said, until one day Wendell Clark skated over to me and said, hey, dummy, those things make you look small. Put on real hockey pants. Um, And you (laughs) know what? Now that you mention that, now that we're getting, okay, now we're going down Joe Fallain and Cooperall Lane and all that. Here's something that I've wondered about recently. If they only go down to your knees, why are they called hockey pants?
0: Hmm. It's a good, well, I mean like
1: are they not hockey okay, so shorts? You, I know in Minnesota they're called breezers, I get that, and that's the only right. unique place. But the last time I checked anything that I wore that went down to my knees is called a short, not a pant.
0: Why well, do we call these the things thing.
1: hockey the- pants wish?
0: Think think of a fancy little boy, like a real fancy kid, you know, his, his parents of old money. Yeah. Like a real Bruce Bruce Wayne okay. type. Now what he wears okay. with with his, his fancy little jacket and his little dress shirt, what do you call those? Call them short pants, don't you? Don't you call them short pants?
1: I've heard it before. I don't know that I've ever referred to those as short pants personally, but I have had them heard them referred to as short pants.
0: So I but do you not see that, the point that... of
1: these these no, these, these the pants are actually hockey shorts?
0: I completely see the point, and when you bring this up, all I can think of is how many times in your life you have tried to correct somebody.
1: People with this? <laughs> yeah, I know it's so bad. It's the cliff. It's the cliff clavening of hockey talk. Well,
0: actually, it really is. <laughs> <It really is. laughs> I mean, this is like. I mean, I'm sure the ratio of make the ice blue versus or whatever the hell you want, color you wanted to make it uh, versus the the hockey pants thing is probably all out of whack. But uh, um, yeah. now you said that you you when you wore the Cooperalls, you would slide more on the ice. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Because because of what they were made of. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you said so, and the guy the the Flyers the Flyers players will tell you this from the early eighties and the whalers who I think would have and by the way, they weren't even Cooperalls that they were in my another Cliff Clave. They were CCM Pro packs is what they okay. were called. They weren't even made by Cooper. Anyway, as a quick
0: so, aside, so my question is this have always
1: been it's like rollerblade or Kleenex.
0: As we always think about how to improve this game of ours? I understand that the Flyers couldn't wear the Cooperalls. Yes. Rules against them in the in the NHL yes. bylaws or whatever. Do you think I that Cooperalls would yes. decrease or increase the amount of shot blocking when guys slide on the ice? If it, if they were worn today,
1: uh, I think you would increase injuries because, like, honestly, when you slid on these things, wish you really went like you picked up steam and you couldn't stop like there would be injuries of guys sliding into the boards and there would be injuries mm. of guys be going to, if you want to block a shot and you, and you miscue instead of taking it off the shin pads, you're taking it off the chest or maybe even worst case scenario, taking it off the head. Right. Yeah, man, not good, but I do like the look decrease. though. Like I think yeah. the look, I think the, 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 if they could work on the technology, the pant itself, mm. then I do think it's almost, I mean, we're just so conditioned to seeing what hockey players look like with the hockey pants and then the socks. Um, hmm. It does provide a pretty interesting, and some would say almost better look. I say that to someone who's a mutual admirer of Roller Hockey International, where that oh, is kind yeah. of a commonplace look, where you have the long hockey mm-hmm. pant. Mm-hmm. New Jersey right? Rock and
0: Rollers, baby!
1: Yeah, that's right. RHI, St. Louis Vipers, Toronto Planets, keep going. Anaheim Bullfrogs. We can do this all day.
0: So the the, the Flyers Voodoo. beat the Flyers beat the Blues yesterday.
1: Uh, I don't look at it that way. I look what at it as, it as the St. Louis Blues lost again. The St. Louis Blues lost again.
0: I don't know if you've heard the thing it on about the show, but Like, how do you diagnose it? Like, what's your diagnosis of the Blues right now? So here's the way that I here's the way that I look at it. Ever
1: since I've been conscious enough to pay attention to hockey, the St. Louis Blues have always had a tough team. It's always like mm-hmm. I've made this point countless times. Before there were the Broad Street Bullies, there were the St. Louis Blues. The reason we mm-hmm. have the Broad Street Bullies is because Ed Snyder was sick and tired of the Philadelphia Flyers getting beaten up by the St. Louis Blues. They were the it's original Broad Street Bullies. Right. Right? Yeah. It was, absolutely. Right. And our whole lives, your life, your life as well, have you ever seen a St. Louis Blues team that wasn't tough, in Mm -hmm. some regards and doesn't necessarily have to be fighting, although they always had the Plaguers and Durbanos and Reed Lowe's and Chase and Twist and all these guys, they always had sluggers, but they always played really tough. And this isn't a team that plays tough. This is a skilled team. This is a team that's transitioning from that Stanley cup team to one that's going to be led by, um, You're Robert Thomas's and your Jordan Kairo's, And if you can never mm-hmm. get healthy again, we all cross our fingers for Scott Perunovic. But it just seems as if right now this is the team that's going through a really awkward phase as they transition it, as Ryan O'Reilly is struggling hard uh, this season, as Vlad Tarasenko is on an expiring contract. And you know what? I'll tell you, <clears throat> now that, it, now that you, you really want to get into it here, I, I mm-hmm. think that they're still... I think that, the, like, there are, there are two teams in the NHL that have not recovered from their all-star defenseman leaving. Mm. One is the Winnipeg Jets with Dustin Bufflin. I don't mm-hmm. think the Winnipeg Jets have ever recovered from that. And the mm. other is, I don't think St. Louis has ever recovered from Alex Petrangelo. You know, and I sent you, it was over a no-trade clause. You know, the uh, yeah. St. Louis Blues weren't going to do it. Doug Armstrong wasn't going to do it. And now he's a member of the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't know. I don't know if they've ever recovered from that because they brought in other players to try to do one of one or a couple of things that Petrangelo can do, right? Like Justin Falk can do this one thing that Petrangelo used to do and Tory Crew can do this one thing that's, uh, that Petrangelo used to do. But you don't have Petrangelo anymore. Right. So I think right. it's a combination of... They're, they're not a tough team anymore. They're transitioning to this new, younger version of themselves, and they still haven't recovered from losing Petrangelo.
0: That's a really good point, man. Like I feel like they, they bought in a defenseman that are sort of in service of a number one instead of a number one, right? Yeah. And so like, once you, he leaves, that leaves a hole that, that can't be filled. It is kind of amazing, by the way, when you think back to the, uh, the Jets and Bufflin. I mean, and it's not too far, long ago. I'm looking at the 2007-2018 Jets that went to the conference final, losing to the upstart Vegas Golden Knights. Dustin Bufflin, Ben Sherratt, Kulikov, Morrissey, Tyler Myers, Jacob Truba. And then when, Buff, didn't, when Bufflin <sighs> left, like a, they lost like four defensemen <laughs> in the same offseason or some such. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. a... It's a hell of a blue Yeah, it was line. Like whole, it's, right? it's like one, one, whole side, one whole side of their back end. But the thing about Bufflin is like yeah. Bufflin as a defenseman could take over games. Like I still maintain, I have no idea how Mark Stone got up from that hit. Like I'm even just, mm-hmm. I'm watching it on TV and you're hearing the crunch of like everything. in like, It's not just like the crunch of, you know, the, the helmet and the equipment, but you're hearing like, you know, the crunch of his body. Like, I don't like in this era, that might be the, the most punishing body check we've seen in this last era. I still have no idea how, how Stone was able to get up from that one. But that was what, something that Dustin Bufflin could do on the regular. And then when he felt inspired and had his feet going, he would just take over games from the back yeah. end, and no so, one could do a thing. He was one of the most unique players in the game, period.
0: So here, here's the thing for, for me with the Blues. Last year, they rode the offensive mm-hmm. wave in this league, and they, and they surfed it, man. They were like Kelly Slater, right? Like, they, they handled that wave like nobody's <laughs> business. And they had the best yeah. offensive season on average in franchise history from a goal-scoring perspective. And now <laughs> they are nearly a half a goal worse than the 31st-ranked offense in the league, the St. Louis Blues are averaging 2.09 goals per game. Do you know how hard it is in the year of our Lord 2022, the way that this league is, the way that this game is played to average almost just two goals a game? That's impossibly hard. And yet they've found a way. Yeah. Now, I don't know if the, if David Perron is the thread that you pull to unravel the sweater, but I'm starting to believe maybe he is. But whatever has gone wonky with this but, offense is hang the on. reason they're in this pickle now.
1: But the, hang on. That, there's a couple of things to David Perron, too. Because, A, there's the goal scoring, certainly the offensive production. But what's the other mm-hmm. thing we know about David Perron? He's a like a player. gloriously dirty hockey player.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man.
1: Yeah. Like, and well, what, I was going to compliment that him by lose, saying. Lose team and saying was, like,
0: yeah, what they're missing. Right. I was going to say physical. You said dirty. I didn't want to, you know, do them like that. I don't want to get an angry call from Alan Walsh, you know, based on how you've decided. But to that's a compliment.
1: <laughs> but that is a compliment.
0: Like I'll still say Brad Marchand is a dirty
1: hockey player. That's a compliment. <laughs> how dare you, sir? That's, that's fine. The I think every, NHL I think you're every team about. needs those. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have like Brayden Shen last night you know it's like okay I gotta do something here you know he gets into it with Nick Sealer. uh it doesn't doesn't end well but at least at least Shen's trying and he's their most you know off, offensive player right now with 10 points and and mm-hmm. however many games he played here 11 games I don't know I see this this team is kind of flailing too like does it first of all Fighting is what fighting is in the NHL right now. But does this look anywhere near a team that has, you know, Craig Berube and Steve Ott behind the bench?
0: No. But, but the, again, maybe, no. maybe that you, – you, you said it yourself, though. Like, they're caught between eras. Like, is this a team that has to go and maybe find the coach that better fits the direction they're going, the Kyru Thomas team? It's not to say that Craig Berube is not a great coach. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen either because here's the thing. Like, when you're in the NFL and you want to play a certain style and you want to be more of an offensive team, you want to bring in somebody who, you know, is uh, going to run the West Coast offense or something, then you go and grab somebody's offensive Mm -hmm. coordinator and you make them your head coach. And now you give them the keys to the kingdom. It doesn't work like that in hockey. Like, when you look at a hockey coach, like, we know who the defensive guys are. We know if you put John Tortorella on a team, although not analytically yet. Eventually, they're going to probably shore up their defense. Barry Trotts the same, right? Yep. Are there yep. are there just straight-up offensive wizards in this league outside of maybe John Cooper? Who is Lindy Ruff one of them? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Is Lindy Ruff an offensive well, wizard? Well,
1: yeah, like they're that? actually... Well, there, there is. The other one is in Vancouver, who I'm not That's sure right. if you noticed last night... Did not change. Like here's the thing. Like after Boudreaux, the, the see. I'm I, I sent us off the top of the program today. I love this show. The forced marriage of Jim Rutherford and Bruce Boudreau is the best show going. <laughs> as they continue to snipe at each other, and even not so subtly yesterday. So they're like they're getting outplayed by the uh, the Ottawa Senators. Like first two periods, Spencer Martin's yeah. keeping him in the game, and then they turn it around. Bohorovat scores a couple of goals. Um, they're tying things up, and they. Um, they uh they they take the lead and it's like okay this game's getting out of hand here and wh- how does Bruce Boudreau have the team play they're still pushing they're still sending yeah. guys deep in the offensive zone like i'm looking at this yep. and I'm, I'm saying to myself this is boudreau this is boudreau telling rutherford to stick it Yeah. This is Boudreaux saying how we play. I know you want you want me to be Claude Julian. You want me to be Barry Trotz. I'm Bruce Boudreaux. I'm sending two guys deep. And you know what? If the third guy hangs out high, that's great. And if he doesn't, well, that's great too. We're playing hockey. You know? Like I I remember like the the, the Bieksa speech the speech last week before the Anaheim game, one of the things that he says is, you know, you guys are lucky you have Bruce Boudreaux. He lets you play. And I know that Rutherford's not a big fan of that, that he wants the team to play with a lot more structure. But everything. And then the post-game comments um, about how, you know, I'm not going to apologize for having a really good, you know, netminder, the netminder's part of the team, et cetera. I'm paraphrasing Boudreau here. But the whole show between Rutherford and Boudreau to me is gold. We know where it's all headed, and it's nowhere mm. good for Bruce. But until that show ends, wish I'm going to enjoy every single episode of it this is. one the forced marriage of jim Rutherford yeah. and bruce boudreau
0: it's it, you know what it is merrick it's it's a little bit catty we could use a little cattiness in this league once in a while couldn't we it's awesome
1: within the organization <laughs> like it's from the coach I know. to the
0: gm it's I know. so good they are i mean it's fun it's fun i feel the, the i feel thing, bad how d- dysfunctional the, 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 the team is though
1: no, I know. I get that. But here's the thing, though. Like, if Rutherford wanted to change it, he could. But I just don't think the, the organization has an appetite to, to pay three coaches right now.
0: That's what I'm saying. He can't. <laughs> like, if he, listen, if he could change it, he would have changed it already. He would have changed it in the offseason. He would have brought his own guy in.
1: He's, so he's, in
0: he, I don't know if you've instead, noticed that, but he's mentioned, in, he's mentioned once or twice how, how tied his hands were <laughs> by that contract. Like, once or twice he's mentioned this. And, and by that, I mean today, probably.
1: He's done that interview five times, Greg. He <laughs> truly has. And it's not going to. He's going to do, do it five more. But he's going to do it five more between before U.S. Thanksgiving.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm. He's not done he just, doing he that just, interview. He has. He has a recording of himself, and he just changes the names of the teams they're going to play that week. <laughs> like he just sends it out. That's all it is.
1: Uh that's awesome all right real quick before i wrap up i want to ask you about one thing uh i love the uh, i love your piece at espn.com on on who keeps it up uh who stays on their heater right now one of the guys that i'm really interested in this season is martin natchez who, like, I know mm-hmm. Svechnikov's great and Tara is great it's from a skill, just a purely skill point of view. I think you could make the case, though, that Martin Natures, just from, a pure, again, pure skill, not performance, but just pure skill, might be the best of the bunch. But of all those players that you write about at ESPN and who can, you know, who can keep up this streak that they're on, who pops for you right away?
0: Well, the one I'm fascinated by is Carter Hart, right? Like, I, I know, you know, he he's. Yeah. It's the most fascinating story for me because many of us assumed that his numbers would would rally with Tortorella behind the bench. I don't think any of us assumed that his numbers would rally without the Tortorella, of a, a Tortorella effect actually happening. Like, metrically, this team is really mm. bad defensively. They give up a ton of shots. Like, there is nothing about their system right now yeah. that speaks to, oh, the goalie is insulated. And yet Carter Hart is putting up Vesda numbers despite that. So... That's the the push pull of that. How good he is versus how not good the defense is, and if the defense catches up to how good he is, what do we end up with? One, I, I'm really happy that the kids turned his career around. I think the, the COVID of it all really messed with him in the last few years. He's talked about that. Uh, you know, the GM talked about that too. Yep. And then and then two, just like you know, I like it. I like when young goalies that get written off tell you, "I'm still here." You know, Spencer Knight like that, Carter Hart like that, like. It's, it's good to see. And so I'm kind of fascinated by how much great work he's doing despite not getting the benefit of what we all mm-hmm. thought he'd get the benefit of.
1: That's excellent. Uh, check that piece out at ESPN.com. We're against it, Wish, so we got a punt. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for the uh, the Troy Crowder talk. I never thought we'd Absolutely. go there today, but Thank- there
0: we were. And hey, Canada, thanks for all the warm wishes and, and smiles about the election last night. Uh, so far, we'll see how it all That's shakes out. going to say, well so done. So far, so good.
1: well done well done you guys are from your buddy from your buddies up north a warm hug a warm hug for you greg uh you'll be good uh greg wachinski from uh from espn